Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another interview with the People in Culture Studio, a series focused on discussions with executives at the best technology companies in the world, talking about their experiences building and optimizing the best teams in the world, uh, from recruiting and retention uh, to building culture and mission that keeps them passionately driving towards the same goals and optimizing for their team's happiness and effectiveness. And specifically, thank you for joining our interview today with Scott Belsky, author uh, most recently of The Messy Middle, a book diving into the, a topic previously ignored by nearly all business writers. Uh, it's the goddamn awful period once you found it but haven't yet made it, uh, which I assume no one writes about because it's probably harder to write about than it is to endure. Uh, he's also <laughs> an entrepreneur, having founded and successfully sold his company Behance. He's an investor and currently Chief Product Officer, Executive Vice President of Adobe's Creative Cloud. And today we'll chat with Scott about his road becoming all of those awesome things, uh, dive into the lessons he's learned about teams, leadership, and culture during his transition from Goldman Sachs to B-School and entrepreneurship, the founding of his first company, and eventual transition to leadership team at Adobe. Uh, so let's go ahead and hop into it. Uh, first, Scott, could you tell us a bit about how you ended up in Goldman? Uh, was it the banking, masochism, expectations, the money, uh, what was the major influence that kind of got you started there? Yeah, sure. Well, um, I you know, sometimes ask myself that as well. Um, I was, uh, you know, uh, 2001, 2002, I was in college and what did people do when they wanted to get in a career started in business? Um, they would typically go to Wall Street. And so um, while I studied undergrad, undergraduate business and design in college, I landed on a uh, job in the finance function at Goldman and uh, about a year and a half into it realized like, oh, I got to get out of here. So I was actually about to leave and then um, went to my manager and she said, well, if you could have another job around the firm, uh, what kind of experience would you be looking for? And I said, well, you know, I'd love to learn how, how a big company works, you know, how it's organized. Um, I didn't know it at the time, but I was interested in organizational development and um, and that uh, led to this role in the executive office that um, I had an incredible experience doing, learned a ton. And I would say, you know, a lot of the origins of Behance, who, which is a company with a mission to organize the creative world, came out of my uh, experience in that latter job at Goldman, of all places. Perfect. I wonder, was there like a specific event, a specific thing that happened that convinced you that your future wasn't going to be in investment banking? Um, I, I, I just was never particularly interested in finance, to be honest with you. And, um, I've always, you know, had a real creative side to me. And, um, I, I think I was always looking for a way to, to merge my interest in, in business with my interest in, um, in designing creativity. And so I was looking for the intersection of that and technology, which is also always a passion of mine. Gotcha. And then what made you decide? So your next step after that, if I understand it correctly, was you decided to go to business school and at the same time you started Behance. What were the intersections between those two things? How did you, was that kind of like a little bit of a safe bet? So you would be in business school while also being uh, your first or doing your first entrepreneurial venture? Was it that they would kind of be uh, synergistic? What was the motivation there for those two moves? Yeah, well, I think that, um, you know, again, looking back, it kind of feels like it all makes sense. But at the time, I think I was unsure, you know, what I, I'm starting this company Behance. It's now me and a friend. And, uh, and is this going to be a real thing? How should I hedge myself? You know, could I, could I kind of develop the early stages of this business while I'm in business school so that I have something to fall back to if it doesn't work out? And I'll just drop out if it does. And, and uh, I ended up 
um, finishing business school, you could argue that maybe the PR value of dropping out would have been greater than the value of finishing. But <laughs> I, uh, I just, you know, I, it was a good, it was a, it was a good experience, but it was also like really hard to stomach. I mean, literally, I was nauseous a lot, and um, and it was, I felt like I was burning the candle on both ends. Um, but my second year of business school, I basically spent in New York, even though school was in Boston. Uh, focused on building the team and the product, and I was really only at school two days a week. So, I would I would say I uh, you know definitely tilted towards the business pretty quickly. I have to ask just because I've heard such radically different views on this. What were your thoughts on the benefits costs of business school? Do you think it was really worth it at the end of the day, or do you think you probably would have been just as successful without it, or is it kind of hard to tell with the mix of how life happens? Yeah, well, it's certainly hard to tell. I mean, I would say that it's fifty-one forty-nine in the sense that I don't regret doing it, but I just barely don't regret doing it. And the problem is it's hard to regret something that you do that is a life experience where you meet people you would never have met, you know, have experiences you never would have had. Um, there isn't a lot, though, that I find is actionable from business school, like in you know, my everyday life as an entrepreneur. Um, but then again, it's hard to say, right? I mean, there's, there's certainly stuff ambiently you learn and develop that it's hard to track. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, I've got friends that are on both sides of that coin, vigorously on both sides of that coin. But yeah. as back, uh, into your first team building experience, so you just mentioned that you had started with a friend. Uh, how did you approach building your first team at Behance? Well, um, Behance team started when I was introduced to um, a, a designer who I was a freelancer designer named Matthias, who um, I was looking for someone to just partner with on developing some of the designs around the ideas I had for Behance. And uh, initially engaged Matthias as a designer, and then he was sort of the first full-time, you know, employee, which felt really scary and real, you know, when you suddenly commit to employ somebody even before you have any revenue. And we were essentially a bootstrap business for five years. I put in a little money in the beginning. Um, we got a very small amount from family. And then, but then at that point we had to kind of feed ourselves. Um, and then we hired um, Dave and Chris and Brian, like these are some of the early folks on the development team. And, um, and it was just, uh, you know, in the early days it was, a small team that none of us were qualified to do what we were doing. So we had to learn a lot of things the hard way. Um, but it was, uh, you know, but it was also like something that really brought us together. And, you know, those are some of the best years of my life and um, professionally, just even though they were some of the most scary. Definitely. Definitely. That makes perfect sense. In retrospect, when you look at, at that first set of hires and the, the approach that you took, whatever it was that you were hiring for or not hiring for, when you look back, what do you think you got right? And what did you just totally fuck up? I think that, um, well, I think what I got right was, um, was the right amount of self-awareness and and developing a learning organization very quickly. We could make all kinds of crazy mistakes, but we would only make them once. Mm -hmm. um, but what I definitely screwed up was just all the things we did wrong. Um, we had to redo the entire BNS network multiple times and on different sort of stacks of technology and frameworks because we never made the right decision that, you know, right away. We were always rushing. And, um, and I think we just lacked some of the basic expertise and experience on our team 
to make these decisions right the first time, but it's hard to regret because those experiences brought us closer and made our, uh, developed a very resilient and loyal team. And I think that that ultimately is what made Behance successful. Um, I like to say now, I think one of the greatest competitive advantages of any startup is sticking together long enough to figure it out. And, uh, you know, if you have to go through some tumultuous period to develop that stickiness, I think they're worth it. Perfect. And this is switching gears a little bit. I, I did just want to dive into what was it like to be a founder? So looking at your background, obviously it is, it's not really a technologist background. You didn't have software development, but a huge part of what Behance was, was the software stack on which it was built and the, the functionality. So how as a founder, did you sort of navigate those waters knowing that it wasn't your kind of bread and butter? Well, you know, I think the, um, the, the most important trait that I look for in, in, develop, in, in teams that are building products is product expertise. Now, product is more logic than code, and it is more psychology than it is design. Um, it's insights into and, and empathy with, you know, customers' behaviors and needs and problems and, and, um, and an obsession with the experience. Um, and those are things, looking back on it, that I did have, although I didn't have the language at the time to like really describe that. Uh, and I don't really know where it came from. I think it came from probably some design training. I think it probably came also just from, you know, uh, uh, interest in like human behavior. So um, I think that's like a really important part of you know, building a, especially a consumer-facing product. And then I think that uh, the most important thing is to know the questions to ask, the functions that you don't have the expertise in. So what I challenged myself to do in the early days was know the questions to ask my development team, you know, my design team, my community management team, my business development teams. Um, and, uh, you know, and that takes, develop, that takes sort of learning over time as well. But um, uh, I also, I learned a lot from the people I brought on. I mean, I frankly, I had an intern in 2005, 2006, who probably taught me more than I taught him about um, some of the basics of technology. Uh, so I, I uh, you know, I think it, you have to be permeable, know how to ask the right questions. And the skills that you need to have, I think, are more around logic than they are around code. That makes perfect sense. How has your approach to building teams changed? So you've obviously you built teams. That was your very first entrepreneurial venture. Now you're an executive vice president at Adobe, so you're building teams at the executive level. So how have your or how has that approach to team building changed over those years? Well, I um I would say my approach to building teams is is really akin to trying to just develop an immune system for every team that I'm a part of where we can tell when something is off, when there's misalignment, when someone comes in that's new, like how do you suppress the immune system so it doesn't kill them, but actually allows them to change the DNA of the team. Um, but also how do you keep the immune system super strong so you kill off most new ideas and foreign practices that would just distract the team and make it unproductive. So there's like an art to that. Uh, and it's uh, something I enjoy. Um, and also, I mean, just when you have a great team, everyone feels like they are doing some of the greatest work of their lives. 
and people feel fully utilized. And that is, I think, one of the one of the key aspects of happiness, just generally speaking, is when we feel fully utilized in our life, whether it both personal through relationships and professionally through work. So, um, so that I think as a builder and manager of teams, you're just trying to help each person achieve that sense of feeling fully utilized, of being respected, um, and, uh, and, you know, and contributing to something greater than themselves, like a, a customer problem they're passionate about. Perfect. And feel free to push back on any part of what I'm about to say. You may disagree with it. But um, so in the early days, it's relatively easy to motivate your team around the future you're helping to build. In the later days, it's pretty easy to motivate around consistent wins, benefits, the prestige of being a successful company. But when you're in the middle, you're plotting through all the shit. The vision seems completely out of reach. The wins aren't coming and nobody outside your organization could care less about what exactly you're doing. How do you motivate your team? Well, you know, I um, I think, you know, I, I believe wholeheartedly that um, we are all governed by a short-term reward system, whether we like it or not. And I think we're all born with it. We look for the gratification from our parents, and then we look for the check on the test and the grade in the exam and the grade in the course. And um, one of the early speakers at one of our 99U conferences uh, investor named Fred Wilson, you know, once made this point that uh, you know, the two greatest addictions in life are heroin and a weekly salary. <laughs> and so when you, you know, when you unplug yourself from any of these, you're fooling yourself to think that you'll just be okay. And when you embark on any sort of journey, whether it be a entrepreneurial journey or a product turnaround at a big company, you are embarking on a journey with no clear end, you know, no and in sight at least. You're also enduring incredible amounts of anonymity, uncertainty, ambiguity, anxiety. And, uh, and so you, you can't just de- depend on this long-term potential reward, this vision of what the world might be five plus years from now. You have to, to short circuit your reward system. And, um, and to me, that means kind of hacking it and making up rewards that keep you engaged along the way. In the early days of Behance, that meant little games, you know, little, little like uh, funny sort of milestones we would make incrementally to keep us engaged over time. And, um, and I think it also means you have to be a great narrator of the journey for your team. You know, it's, in the book, I use the analogy of it's almost like this road trip with the windows blacked out and the team in the back seat. And unless you're telling them where they are and that they're making progress, they're going to go crazy. And, um, you know, I do believe that progress is the best mo- in, uh, driver of future progress, which is a little catch-22. I mean, you actually have to merchandise any semblance of progress to your team to get them to make more progress. Interesting. Do you have any examples or, or games that you remember playing back then that were effective? And I guess a kind of sub-question to that is how much of that is narrative and how much, like how strategic and specific should you be in the types of wins that you're uh, kind of lauding to the company and, and raising up and saying, hey, we just got this one. How much does that matter versus the story that you tell around it? Yeah, well, the, we had a lot of games. I mean, we had one thing called flat bets where we would just make a, make a bet like, Oh, you know, we're not going to reach a hundred thousand users by this date. And if we are, Scott agrees to, as a lifelong vegetarian, he agrees to like eat meat off of, off of somebody's fork. 
And uh, so I signed that and I ended up having to eat meat off of somebody's fork a year or so later. Um, <laughs> that was like a fun, motivating thing. Another funny one was that whenever we would type in Behance into Google, it was also, it was always like, do you mean Enhance? Do you mean Enhance? Do you mean Enhance? And you know, Google basically thought we were a mistake and it was a made up word. And so we said, okay, let's, in the next six months, let's try to get enough link back, enough SEO love, you know, let's get enough portfolios up and running so that Behance is no longer a mistake. And lo and behold, we, um, we ultimately, six months later, you know, typed in Behance and it showed up as a legitimate search result. And that was like a good example of a near-term reward that didn't really mean anything from like a revenue perspective, but definitely yeah, it made us feel like we were making progress. And this was back in like 2006, 2007. And I kid you not, six months later, Beyonce became super popular and we were back where we started. Um, <laughs> so, you know, there, there is definitely, you know, those are some of the examples. The one thing I would say, though, is you can't, you can't uh, manufacture fake wins at the expense of hard truth. You know, all of these, these milestones that I just described, these games, were all driving us toward the outcome that we needed to have for a healthy business. Um, we were never, you know, fake celebrating things that were not real, you know, that were, or were, were incentivizing traction in the opposite direction. And, uh, you know, we weren't paying for awards, but then we were celebrating and telling our, you know, employees, oh, good, this means we're doing a good job. You know, it's, it was always, I thought, healthy. Absolutely. Perfect. I think an equally important question. So we kind of dived into how do you motivate your team through that messy middle? And you touched on this a little bit, but if you could dive a bit more deeply, how do you motivate yourself as a leader? And what are the games that you played internally that maybe never discussed with the people on the team that kept you motivated through those really difficult times? Well, I think, you know, I, I was, I felt very motivated by the culture, you know, and, and the fact that I really respected the people I was working with and I just was determined, you know, and I, I did have this belief and always have had it that a labor of love always pays off, just not how you'd expect. And so in my mind, I always said, Hey, like if we all are here for the right reasons, we genuinely believe in and love what we're doing. This is going to work out. It may not work out in a logical linear path, but something's going to happen for us. And um, that was like, I would say the only degree of faith you can have to have in these journeys. Um, and, uh, and, and that was something I always was focused on. Perfect. So uh, when you're in the messy middle, this is getting a bit more into the, the cogs of kind of how hiring and how you build teams in that messy middle. But how did you approach things like recruiting and retention uh, in that messy middle? Um, well, I, you know, I was always trying to be transparent with the team about where we were. I was always telling that narrative, both to new employees, prospective employees, and old employees. And, um, and I was always, you know, I, 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 and this is a burden. Like, I was always feeling like this sense of, like, I got to make sure that everyone's aligned, that everyone's on the same page, that, um, you know, uh, that, uh, that we were sort of healthy in that regard. Um, you know, you also have to let go of certain people that are distract, detracting from the chemistry. Um, that's also important because, uh, you know, anyone, you know, any, any sort of 
any infection in the team can like spread really quickly. And so a big part of retention is actually making sure that you, you know, you clean, keep the team, team clean of those who are not contributing or doing their, you know, carrying their fair share. Perfect. And you just mentioned, so uh, the fact that you like to have the hard conversations, you like to let the team know this is the reality of exactly where we're, where we are. Do you remember ever having to have a conversation where you thought like, this could be it, guys, this is we are at a precipice of like, this might be the end. And I wonder how, how do you approach those kinds of conversations where you feel the need to be truthful and open and clear and honest about this is what we are and where we are today. But it fucking sucks. Like it is not good news. Yeah, I, I had a number of those conversations, you know, and I would I would always try to, I mean, my 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 mantra in management is to be very optimistic about the future, but very pessimistic and paranoid about the present. Mm. And so I was very, you know, I, I was very uh, honest about the things I was worried about, the competitors on the horizon, the uh, the doubts that I would have about execution on some of the things we had to do. But then I would always finish with, but let's just, just like take a step back and remember, you know, why are we doing this? You know, what is, how big is this opportunity? You know, what can the world look like if we're successful? What will our lives look like if we're successful? Um, you know, let's stay, let's stay aligned with each other. Let's stay focused and let's stay motivated. But also, like, let's be realistic. Like, this is what's not working now. And how, are, how the hell are we going to fix it? Gotcha. That's perfect. And I think it's kind of a closing question to tie a lot of this to back together. How do you think of, and I know this is pretty broad, it might be difficult, but how do you quantify the differences between building, say, a founding team, uh, growing that team in the middle, and the difference between that and then building a team at the executive level? Or if there is a difference, or maybe there's a common thread that kind of unites all of those. Yeah, I mean, listen, aside from the fact that you're looking for different skill sets and obviously you know people have to have different varying levels of experiences based on the size of the organization i don't think it's that i don't think it's that different i don't approach them differently and you know i still help build startup teams for companies that i am an investor in and you know helping them meet people and and i am helping build executive teams so it's uh while the credentials and the process might be a little different at the end of the day it's the same you know, same overall approach Excellent. I think that's a perfect place to wrap things up for the interview today. Uh, thank you so much, Scott, for the time and the insights. It's really been a pleasure learning from you today. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And everyone listening, if you thought the interview today with Scott was valuable and insightful, this is honestly nothing compared to his book, which we mentioned a couple times today. Uh, if you're interested, I would strongly encourage you head over to themessymiddle.com and order a copy right now.